Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Alan Averill. This is episode 16 of Agitators Anonymous. So, this episode will be something of a ramble, uh, something of a retelling of some uh, inane stupidity and silliness from my past. Um, I've really enjoyed the last few podcasts doing the research. Um, the Anton LaVey, Church of Satan and the Alistair Crowley went down really well. The Irish history before that. And I will get back into that maybe next time. But somehow I felt um, this week maybe a little light relief is needed. I think and I sense an awful lot of people are having some severe difficulties now beginning to really bubble to the surface as regards their mental health, as regards purpose and agency, two words I talk about all the time, but especially now as the months are dragging on and people who are unemployed or beginning to realize now that they may have to make a complete 360 pivot in their lives and try and rescale, retrain, where are they moving to? We've been through quite the gamut of emotions over the last few months. I mean, personally, the first few months I decided to take it on the chin, was running every day, was doing over 10 kilometers three or four times a week, was starting my morning off with my yoga, stretching, this, that, and the other. You know, not yoga, yoga, but some kind of yoga-ish, yoga-ism, whatever you want. Um, and coping reasonably well but I have to admit the last four or five maybe even six weeks it's hard to tell because the days meld into each other the train has kind of come off the rails a bit and you will sense that from when I was talking 
to Addy from Solstafir. But as we sort of lurch from disinformation to confusion as regards our future and the relative mishandling of it by the governments or the institutions of the state of wherever you may be living, um, I sense a very great weariness, but also a lot of uncertainty among people, uh, me included, me included. And we have to try and do what we can to preserve our mental health, something that um, not a lot of podcasts are talking about, I think. At least I don't sense they are. Um, I think most, if not most podcasts are laden down with politics at the moment. They're laden down with constant talk of racism, constant talk of society's imminent collapse. And people have asked me why I haven't addressed some of those things. And I have to say that sometimes there's an element of, um, you know, fool says all he thinks, wise man thinks all he says, and that me adding more noise to the noise, which just seemed to be reaching such a tumultuous clatter, um, didn't seem correct to me. I think we are, of course, still obviously allowed to talk about what we want to talk about. Um, I don't feel compelled to tackle a subject, but... In due process, I might start to look at a few of those things. But it definitely felt like a very great weight was dragging us down mentally. Like I said before, a decade into the, what is in reality a social media experiment, um, I think has deranged us. And most definitely, I have felt a little deranged over the last month. And in truth, doing the research for the last few podcasts has given me a handle on sanity. Well, among other things, returning to play sport being another one. But like I said, um, it does feel like we are in, as I've said several times before, a holding pattern, but slowly, but slowly and surely we're running out of petrol, I sense. However, so I have a podcast ready about um, it's a kind of mixture of a travel blog mixed with a little warning from history, and that will be next week. So keep a lookout for that. You can follow me on Instagram at nemthianga underscore primordial. Patreon, where I do extra bonus podcasts, is just patreon.com slash Alan Aver with two capital A's. Um, and... I put some stuff up there about the recording process with Primordial, that kind of thing. So if you're more interested in Primordial, perhaps, than my opinions about uh, the state of the world, then maybe you might want to take a look over there. So I think what I'm going to do is just ramble and tell a really, well, try and do justice to a story that is one of my 3 or 4 a.m. go-tos when I've had a few too many and want to, uh, I don't know, monopolize the conversation of a room for a couple of minutes telling a ridiculous story. And it's about the first time I ever visited the USA. Um, seems a bit pertinent at the moment. Um, and maybe might grant a tiny little bit of 
relief from the relentless seriousness that seems to be pervading most things. So the very first time that um, I visited the USA was with Primordial in the mid-2000s, I guess 2005 or 2006. And of course, it was pretty exciting stuff. Um, very first gig there, we played for some reason in Minnesota. Now I will change the names of some people involved in this story to protect their uh, anonymity or something like that. I've been thinking back often about some of the crazy stories that happened over the last decades, few decades, and thinking about how to retell them. And I think I the best thing to do is maybe change a few names here and there, maybe. Sure, we'll see. We'll see how it goes and see how long my brain can keep a handle on that simple task. So the first time we went to play in the USA was um, a festival, the Heathen Crusade Festival, where we took the name from, um, I suppose, was in Minnesota, of all places to go. And this whole two or three week period, I, I, I managed to eke out a two or three week stay in the USA, literally on the back of about $300 or something ridiculous like this. Um, only a very well skilled proponent of the Irish social welfare system would have been able to wrangle that much out of a squeezed blood from a stone on those terms. Um, yeah, if you never had the money, you kind of did what you could to get by with it. So we ended up playing in Minnesota in freezing temperatures outside, absolutely freezing. It was like minus eight or something like this. Pure Fargo country. Um, eh? And really odd place for a band to have to go and travel through New York to get to Minnesota. There were probably better cities I imagine to have held it but my lasting impressions of that, that, that festival um, are nearly getting my ass kicked by a bunch of marines by telling them that it was um, Germany who declared war in the USA and that the Russians actually won the war yeah not maybe my best move that and um, generally causing mayhem in the hotel breaking into people's rooms flinging all their CDs out the window because they obviously weren't all Venom and Bathory CDs, this kind of thing. Usual petulance that embodies just being a bit of a pain in the arse um, on your first trip and you're 20-something. Was I 20-something? I suppose I was 20-something. Um, but very odd memory of arriving at the venue to find all the girls who were working in the venue had a bucket of a mixture of animal and menstrual blood, which they'd collected, and they were dipping tampons in it um, in order to fling at uh, Seth Putnam from Anal Cunt, who were playing, I think, the day or after us, or two days after us, or something like this. Um, so this was like the first sight that greeted us. They had this big bucket up on top of our table that was in the backstage. You're like, oh... Oh, hey, sorry. Yeah, come in. Take a look. We're uh, putting blood on these. Events. Yeah, etc. That was my best Fargo impression. What a strange accent that is. Sort of weird hybrid mix, I guess, of Swedish chef from the Muppets and something in the Midwest. I don't know. Um, it's proper herdy. Anyway, but that's I think that Minnesota is the area where mostly Scandinavians settled, right? Well, I mean, right. You're not. I don't know. 
again, the rhetorical nature of this conversation. So we're in the backstage and these girls are, as I said, um, dunking. So if you're drinking your coffee right now and you're dunking a donut in it, you can imagine uh, what they were doing, dunking a dunking uh, things in menstrual blood to fling at Seth Putnam. Anyway, that was the main, that was my main takeaway from the gig. That's the main thing that I remember. But in the course of the next two or three weeks, let's say two weeks, um, I went from freezing cold uh, landscapes of Minnesota all the way to Arizona. And that was one of the first times, I think that at the time was the furthest I'd ever been away from home, actually Arizona. Uh, that was a very strange realization. It was one of the, I'm not a man who gets homesick very often, but it was one of the few times in my life, I suppose it was because it was the first time where you realized, ah, okay, yeah, I'm quite a long way from home. And if any of you know the primordial song, Cities Carved in Stone, that's a little bit about that feeling where you realize you could walk out on your own life, something like this. And you are just in a city on a street or somewhere where no one knows who you are, no one knows your name, nobody knows where you are. And this is all in the age before really mobile phones were what they, well, what they are now. And of course, I wouldn't have had any credit anyway, of course. But so this really strange juxtaposition of going from Minnesota and these cold landscapes and ending up one day to the next, then in Arizona in arid heat with a dry heat so so intense that it hurt behind my eyes. I'd never experienced this air before. What a sensitive young man I was. Um, and that's not really the most exciting or interesting part of this ridiculous story. But the next week or so uh, are the kind of things that um, end up shaping your as I said shaping your after dinner speeches shaping your 4am whiskey soaked silliness but I'd been talking to a guy online on this old forum that we were involved in in the Irish Metal Forum and you know we'd exchange few messages back and forth and I said oh yeah you know I'm coming to New York um, you know, of course, I wouldn't have never, wouldn't have had the money for a, a hotel or anything like this. And we'd been talking, exchanging a few messages back and forth. And so I'd agreed to meet him in New York and stay with him. And we're going to go and hang out this, hang out at this, that and the other. And I was sure I knew him and he was sure he knew me and Dave in New York. And OK, right, great. Yeah, yeah. You remember me from 92 and 94? Oh, OK, brilliant. Let's. This is going to be a lot of fun. Let's figure this out. And the whole experience first, I ended up in uh, I ended up in Brooklyn, um, staying with a friend of mine, or rather not staying with a friend of mine, uh, but hanging out with a friend of mine, uh, doing this magazine, um, Grimoire of Exalted Deeds, Bill. But I ended up having to we ended up you know going to out in Brooklyn and going out to the metal bar there and doing the usual drinking hanging out being idiots kind of thing and here from here on in is where the whole ridiculous story gets well ultra ridiculous so 
I ended up staying with um, some guy who had played a bit part in some movie um, and just sort of out of the blue. And at the time, it, this is one of those lessons that teaches you like, you know, f with the best will in the world, try and save something for a hotel or a hostel. But in the middle of the night, this I woke up to find this guy like looming over me. I'm not sure if he was sleepwalking. Um, I don't think it was anything a bit more ill-intentioned than that, but certainly he was looming over me in the middle of the night. And I grabbed my stuff and ran out of the house in the middle of like three or four in the morning or five in the morning, somewhere randomly in Brooklyn. I knew I had to get to Times Square in New York at 2 p.m. the next day to meet Dave in New York. And I ran out of this dude's house, grabbed my stuff, and tried to find my way to somewhere where I could sit around and wait out the night to take the bus into New York the next day. And what you don't realise coming from Ireland, where, you know, it's a pretty small country. You can drive from the top to the bottom in about five hours, probably a bit less if you had a, a good GPS and a pretty good ride. Um, but we're just not used to these massive highways. So I remember being on like at like a bus stop, but on the inner lane of this or outer lane of this huge like six uh, lane highway heading in and buses were flying by me and cars going by me. And this dude eventually just stops in the bus and he's like, man, you, what are you doing there? You're at the wrong bus stop. You can't stand there. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, played the dumb Irishman in New York card. I, I don't know where I'm going. And he's like, oh, man, get in. Come on. You know, it kind of thing. How'd you like the accent? Hmm? Yeah, they're going to get worse. Believe me. Uh, and so I got in what I think was like a truck only for employees of some particular company everyone was dressed I mean, to my in my memory they're dressed like UPS workers but they might not have been but for some reason I end up in this little tiny van with these people um, and I think the guy must have just taken some sort of sympathy on me sympathy on my tired 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 head as you know a big no doubt big pale Irish looking head the sun was beaten down who had run out of somebody's apartment in the middle of the night. Um, anyway, I arrive in Times Square maybe an hour or two late with no, you know, no power on the phone, sweaty, hassled, irritated. And Dave had said to me, oh, I'll be wearing this T-shirt of this band. I think it was macabre. And... I'll be waiting under the clock or whatever at Times Square. So I'm sweaty and bedraggled and going down the escalator and up the escalator coming the other way is a man that I don't recognize wearing a carb t-shirt. And I realized at that moment, like, oh, I don't know you at all. I don't know this guy at all. And we've been talking as if we knew each other. And I was about to spend the next five or six days hanging out with this, with this dude. And I had no recollection of knowing him um so i of course didn't say anything and hey, hey you know hey how are you oh hey man right yes you know and it was sort of okay how do i play this am i gonna have to uh pretend that uh, we're you know long lost buddies for the next week which is in in reality maybe 
Not sure which was the good idea or bad idea, but nevertheless, we end up going back to the apartment somewhere in the projects. And I don't know if you've ever, this has ever happened to you, but the moment when you walk into somebody's apartment and you realize, ah, okay, there's something wrong here. Um, this person has some issues, has some problems. And it was a complete white uh, apartment. No paintings on the wall, nothing hanging on the wall, nothing remotely to make it personable. Just a bed, a chair, a TV, a guitar, and absolutely nothing else in it. And I thought to myself, okay, so there's not even somewhere for me to sleep or whatever. And, you go, and it was like, oh, you can, you know, sleep in the chair or whatever. Sleep in the chair, okay. And of course, I had no money, maybe probably, probably like $120 or something like this. Uh, and uh, the logical thing to do was to lock yourself in the bathroom and try and think about what to do. Was this how, what are we going to do? You know, back in those days, you weren't able to change flights or do anything like this. So I'm in the toilet, you know, taking a shower or whatever, trying to figure out what to do. And through the doors, uh, there's some stuff in there for you if you uh, if you want, like, you know what I mean? I'm going, oh, what the fuck? What's going on here? What the fuck is he talking about? And I do remember that in the previous few weeks, the disc there had been a discussion about weed. And I'm not a guy who smokes weed. Uh, so I was kind of like, oh, maybe get a bit of weed or whatever. Um, nah, not my thing, mate. Not really my thing. So... Uh, there's uh, there's some stuff there on the shelf there. I was like, okay, what are we talking about here? And no word of a lie, it was like an industrial strength cap, like the big, like a big cap you would have had on maybe like if you get to ever take a big a big one of those big jars of protein shake stuff with the big the cap that you you know the cap that goes on the top. And it was just full of cocaine, like full, I would say, who knows, 15, 20, 25 grams or something, just all tipped out, in upturned in the, in his jar top. And he's like, oh, well, you know, have a go with that or whatever. And, you know, this kind of thing. And um, yeah, my brain is literally like, well, how do we play this? What else am I going to do? I have no money to go anywhere. No, no plans no ability to change my flight no ability to go and get a hotel so what are you going to do under those circumstances but go all right let's throw my hat in the ring with this i mean i make it sound a bit like i'm a martyr in these terms but that's not really true um you know you throw your hat in the ring with well, that's two hats um you throw it in the ring with sex drugs and rock and roll for a while and certainly this was not um, you know, the most uncommon experience, but certainly the circumstances were beyond odd. I don't think I'd ever seen so much cocaine in my entire life. And so I went, all right, well, look, when in Rome or when in an empty apartment with three pieces of furniture and no money, what else are you going to do? So the answer, of course, is, all right, let's do out a line. Is it too early? No, never too early. Sure, go on. Let's have a go. And I don't think I'd ever taken cocaine like this. This was an absolute bullet to the brain. It was just like, wah, absolute 
the strongest thing I think ever in it. You know, anything you got in Ireland back in the nineties was always ecstasy or um mushrooms or something like this or people used to take acid and go to the pub and stuff but no one ever saw cocaine because cocaine was like a rich city drug or a rich man's drug and that was definitely not what we were growing up and yeah you know most people just drank cider or whatever I mean even in the late 80s early 90s boom um commonly kids would have uh, had you know um put paint thinners on the sleeve of their jacket sniff that put glue in a bag yep that's the old school dublin of 1989 you're talking about not i but it was pretty common to see definitely going to gigs kids used to stand in the um stand lined up for the gigs you know in the queue huffing paint and stuff and taking glue anyway i digress so i come out of the uh, sparse toilet into the sparse front room with this upturned cap um, industrial sized cap full of cocaine and we just go alright let's have a go so first day is just spent in a hot sweaty confused blur wandering around New York trying to go from 53rd and 3rd to 44th and and getting completely lost everywhere every single landmark every single thing we want to hit Every tube goes the wrong way. Every street we walk in the wrong direction. It's hot. We're sweaty. We got no money. Um, I presume by this stage I've not been able to wash my clothes. In fact, I'm pretty sure that was pretty standard. (laughs) If I'd just had a small bag that I'd been taken to a gig. And it was just a blur of taking the tube the wrong way. I did get to eat a famous New York hot dog, but I don't remember seeing... Um, some of the things that ended up on the camera of my phone I don't really remember seeing and the first day was just a constant blur of bumps and sweating and bumps and sweating and wandering around New York not seeing this, not seeing that and eventually managing to get back to this sparse room in the projects uh, and have to more or less sit sleep sitting up while um, my host lay on his back and snored like a gutted pig um as lovely a gentleman as he was that was um one of the shall we say uh downsides perhaps of having to sleep sitting up in the same room as somebody who sleeps on their back with obviously some <laughs> uh some breathing problems that's the most polite way i can put it as lovely as man as he turned out to be and a, re- a relatively generous host, so to say. However, so my first night was spent in a sweaty cocaine haze, staring at the ceiling or staring at the TV with the sound down, listening to um, like a, a, a chainsaw going through a old pig or something like this, you know. So that sounded a bit, a bit awful to say. Uh, and so the morning comes around and maybe I managed to get one, two, three hours of sleep possibly not and what's the best way to handle the next day is obviously to start off having cocaine for breakfast i think is probably the best way to deal with having had no sleep and true enough we just get launched into the next round of uh this insanity and this just the day wears on and goes gets more and more crazy we end up going to um we end up going to uh an empty bar run by this flamboyant, flamboyantly camp Puerto Rican guy 
And it's, you're like, oh, for my two favorite Irishmen, sit at the bar. Yeah, gonna give you some drinks and whatever, you know. And the pair of us are sitting there, these sort of sweaty, super buzzed, high, lit up to fuck Irish lads with pasty faces sitting at the bar getting free drinks. And then I notice sometime in the evening, um, just me and him are still sitting there. He's gone off to buy more Coke, leaving me sit there. And I watched him out the window go into the back of a, a like a, a blacked out car window and out the other door and then back around and into the pub. And don't worry, Al, everything's sorted. Got more. We didn't need any more, but this is just what happened. And the pair of us are sitting at the bar, just like, uh, sweating and whatever. And it's only at this time I begin to really notice that the whole bar is full now behind us. But the whole bar is full of, um, it's like an open mic hip-hop rap battle night so me and him are the only white people sitting at the bar maybe about three or four hundred just black people dancing and doing rap hip-hop stuff and i just said to him i said are we really supposed to be in here uh, i think this is a good idea ah no it's grand Alice. it's grand fine fine everything's grand yeah yeah right okay and he's like are oh, you on a line i'm like uh well i don't know how we're gonna yeah no no don't worry sorted man sorted Okay, so then I get, you know, the tap on the shoulder. Ah, yeah, one in there for you. And the, what in the and he just like laid it out in the toilet and a, a CD or something in the toilet. And I go into the toilet and there are all these dudes just standing in the toilet. And they're like, ah, oh, hey, man, is that for you in there? You got... And they like Jay literally put... David literally put a, a line out on a CD and just left it on the cistern in the toilet where the toilet was just full of people. And they were like... they. They clapped me into the toilet when I came in. They're like, this must be for you, man, and whatever. And all these dudes were just like, I was like, going, uh, yeah, ooh, pretending not to know what was going on. And they were just like, well, you know, what the fuck are you doing here? You've got some balls to kind of come into this place. And they're like, oh, I'm here with me sweaty mate. We're just hanging around from Ireland. And of course, the usual thing was, as soon as you say you're from Ireland, people generally, oh, yeah, 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 man, that's cool. They aren't... Um, they aren't usually uh, pretty hostile to you once you say you're from Ireland. In fact, I've rarely been ever anywhere where the Irish passport has elicited anything other than, a, oh, okay, cool. It's been, I've been pulled out of vans by guards with guns in Transnistria, which is a self-declared communist republic between Moldova and Ukraine, pulled off a bus full of babushkas at gunpoint and gone through my wallet with a gun and... As soon as you produce the Irish passport, it's like, oh, okay. It's more than once got me out of a few uncomfortable moments. So I'm in this in the toilet cubicle, standing around. All these dudes are standing around looking at me, and they're like, "Yeah, I think your line looked a little bit short there, son. Here, have another go, kind of thing." And in the end, we end up sort of kind of dancing around, being a bit sort of uh, about what's going on, and the only two sweaty white dudes just as, with big Irish heads and him in this bar full of people doing rap hip-hop battles. And this goes on. In the end, we don't. I don't think we leave the nightclub till must be 10 or 11 or 12 in the morning the next day. The owner has a lock-in. And at this stage, I don't think I've slept literally for three days, probably two, three days. And out into the searing New York sunshine at like 10 or 11 in the morning after spending literally 16 hours on the gack on the batter um just absolutely 
destroyed and just this odd feeling of you've just been you were almost at the center of um like the the ending scene or you know like you're watching a movie and at the beginning there's the two the two dumb uh cops who are trailing the hero of the movie and they end up getting killed in the first scene that's what we felt like you felt like you were the the two expendables um who get a couple of lines at the start but that have are totally inconsequential to the story and end up getting bumped off. And we go back, snoring, sitting in the chair, not much happening. Third day, same thing, cocaine for breakfast. Just still blowing my head off, just wandering around. I'm not really even sure where we really even know what we're doing at all. Just wandering around. And we end up in some bar, randomly, in a Greenwich Village, and some dude just comes up to me and he goes, hey, are you, are you the guy from Primordial? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, um, that is a very good question. I'm just sort of, uh, well, at the moment, wandering around like a zombie in a cocaine-fueled, um, I'm not sure if it's a nightmare or it's a dream sequence or like I said, we're just at the start bit of the movie and the movie's about to move on without us. But... And he's like, okay, but, but, you know, and I says, oh, well, you know, what day is it? Wednesday? And he's like, no, man, it's Thursday. All right, okay. And we are standing in some crazy pub and he just randomly says to me, oh, you know, like, when are you going home? I said, Sunday. <laughs> and he sort of says, all right, we live out near the airport. You can come out and stay with us maybe if you want to. And I thought, yes, please, that would be amazing. And... So he gave me a number, wrote it down on a piece of paper. And the night wore on and shots and more coke and more this and more that. And we end up in some um, in some whiskey bar basement again till like six or seven in the morning. There's some band of uh, punky girls with blue and grey, blue and grey, blue and green hair. And we end up partying with them. And this rolls over into Thursday evening. And by now I have no no handle on reality at all. I think I've literally eaten a hot dog in about two or three days. Um, probably this ac- acrid cocaine sweat, um, just not sleeping, listening to uh, the snoring of my erstwhile host. And literally, I run away from the apartment. It's Friday afternoon by now and another evening has gone by. Uh, and I'm... So out of my mind, I just grab my bag and I think I'm, I'm, I maybe have $20, but not enough certainly to stay, maybe $30, not, certainly not enough to stay in a hotel for two nights until the flight home on Sunday. And it's Friday afternoon. And I literally rang this number, not really knowing if I'd taken it down correctly or whatever. And uh, the dude answers the phone. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, where are you? I'll come and get you. And he's like, you're there? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I just run away, basically. And he goes, oh, right, yeah, hang on. You're not really supposed to be there. I'm like, yeah, I get that impression, all right. Just this sweaty white dude standing around on the street corner somewhere in Brooklyn. Or we're not in Brooklyn. Where was I? I can't remember. It was all a, a complete blur. Um, and eventually he comes and collects me, brings me back to to just like a sort of normal suburban house, not too far from the airport. And no word of a lie, I think I just fell asleep on this guy's couch 
and slept for 20, 20, 20 hours just lying on his couch. And somewhere on Saturday evening, I woke up. And they're just like, so where have you been since, is it Monday? On Monday, I arrived in Brooklyn. And this is Saturday afternoon. And for those four or five days, literally, I got chased out of an apartment in the dead of night. Um, got Had some pity taken on me by a UPS driver. Ended up in some crazy, sparse, tiny, white-walled apartment where we just did cocaine for three days and wandered around in a daze, nearly entered a rap battle. Not sure I would have really done very well at that. And arrived back in Dublin, managed to get to the flight in one piece, but arrived back in Dublin sometime on Monday afternoon. And it was one of the most insane weeks, I think, of my... Well, I mean, I've had some kind of insane weeks here and there, but this was particularly mental. Um, and the whole time, uh, the premise of meeting was that me and Dave were old mates. And I had no recollection of ever having met this guy before. And to this day, never, ever heard from him ever again. I ran out of the apartment somewhere on Friday morning or Friday afternoon and never heard from Dave in New York ever, ever again. Uh, the whole thing felt like some crazy, crazy dream sequence. Anyway, maybe I've done justice to trying to retell the story of my first trip to America. Um, crazy trip. Partly inspired by some of the crazy things that are happening in America right now and got me and my friends last weekend talking about all the great times that we've had in America. And I've, I've spent a lot of uh, time in America, but also been, uh, even on the few tours we've done, seen probably at least 25 or 26 states in America. And, you know, it really uh, gets to me. Actually, you know, not much does, but to read to see the precipice that the country seems to be um, heading towards um, has quite affected a lot of us, and especially affected me because I have great affection for the country and the people. It's always been a place wherever I've been, I found that the um, the why not instead of why kind of attitude really endearing. Well, that sounds quite patronizing and quite typically European. But um, it really does worry me and it, uh, what's happening over there. Um, so I thought that maybe just for this podcast, I would try and tell an off-the-cuff, an off-the-cuff kind of silly story from my past. Um, maybe the last, you know, or maybe after the last three podcasts, which were a bit more serious, it needed this one, maybe needed a little bit more gravitas and to be... Oppose it by just, you know, telling you all what an idiot I was. However, I wouldn't change the story, mind you. Although, it would have been handy to have enough money in my pocket to uh, <laughs> to be able to disappear for a night, one night in a hotel. And I believe me, after this trip was when I started to be a, a bit cranky and have the only rock and roll, or let's say the only rock star requirement that I have is that I have to have, you have to have your own hotel room if you're going to be traveling all the time. Putting up with... Um, when you're a light sleeper who's always been plagued by insomnia and stuff, um, sleeping or sharing in a room with somebody who snores is... Um, it's up there with 
famine and pestilence and genocide. That's all I have to say on the matter. But that was my first trip to the USA. And the first of many over the following 15 years. But yeah, right now it really does feel like nobody's going to be touring there uh, for the foreseeable future and certainly not next year. And certainly if, certainly the result of the election is going to play a massive part on how 2021 looks because I have this very great sense that the world is um, dangling its legs over the edge of a cliff, so to speak. Um, I will try and maybe do a podcast and address some of those things, discuss some of them. But like I said, it just felt at the time um, that it felt at the time that I was just adding more noise to a subject when I felt that we weren't compelled, we shouldn't be compelled to have to address things. The concept that silence is violence, for example, it just doesn't really make any sense to me. It is your right to hold your peace if you wish, to analyse the information, to calculate the data, to not react emotionally. I mean, I will do a podcast on stoicism, a podcast on um, reason, rationality, all that kind of stuff. And we have to, I think we have to address the fact that or understand that while we are under this lockdown, it's almost like living in some form of a very dull communist state, as my friend said to me last weekend, where nothing out of the ordinary happens. But at the same time, nothing out of the ordinary necessarily is happening in my city, as in we cannot travel, there's no sense of adventure, nothing like this. The highlight of your week tends to be sharing a drink with somebody. Um, but maybe communist state is not quite the right thing that he was going for. But I, I knew what he was talking about. And the main difference is that we are just spending so much time in front of our screens. At the beginning of this, I had a hope that this, the serious nature of the virus, of the lockdown, of what we were witnessing in Italy and, and the sense that tens of millions of people could be on the verge of becoming unemployed, I really did think that it would maybe recalibrate some of the insanity politically that was occupying people, that maybe they might see a little bit of sense and some of the fog might clear and they might realise that some of the um, some of the things that people were screaming about on either side of the political divide were, in essence, nonsensical, religious in their overtones. And I thought that maybe it would recalibrate some people, but how I was wrong. I listened back to the first or second podcast and I'm talking about something like that and how I was wrong. All it's done is make people more frustrated, more angry and They've been spending more time in front of the screen, more time being fed the outrage that the algorithm has designed for them. And it's placing us in an incredibly difficult and unhealthy position. And I'm not sure how we, as a society, pull back from this, in essence. I think that what's happened is that the loudest voices in the room are being rewarded. 
um, and they are outlying opinions and that most people don't subscribe to either one of those states of being, whether it's from the far left or the far right or whatever. But the outlying voices um, are what gain clicks. They're what gain traction. Like I said before, moderate man says reasonable thing is not really what people read. People want every ism, every phobia to be amplified to the nth degree because that's what moves traffic. And when you have a news media cycle that is reliant on clicks for its marketing and advertising and therefore its income, then this is what drives their opinion as well. And also, you know, I very much subscribe to the opinion that if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, so to speak. And that the idea of being a journalist, as in the old fashioned way, perhaps like a musician as well, as it being an investigative journalist who actually goes out there into the field and uncovers news stories and brings them to the public. This is um, perhaps a job that doesn't really exist anymore, or at least isn't paid enough to exist anymore, or rather somebody with an impartial overview of the world doesn't try and claim it as their employment. Because the ground has been cleared within journalism for ideologues, for idealists, people who never intended to really make a living out of writing. But the writing was a vehicle for their way of looking at the world, for their opinion, their opinions, their idealism, their, they were crusading. And so therefore, in those terms, when you have, when you're never going to get paid for this thing, the blog, blogosphere, whatever you want to call it, that just moved into journalism and you can see this every day on any news media site news cycle is that how many stories seem to just replicate opinion pieces and they aren't really based on fact or even impartiality they are idealistic opinion pieces and they have taken over certain areas of the news media They've taken over the objectives of the news media, because if the objective is to reshape and change society, as opposed to reporting on it unopposed, then this is the this is the reward. And that reward is having the voice. And you know, can see this by the very simple nature that the most outlying opinions are what people follow on Twitter or subscribe to on YouTubers, even though that's being purged somewhat now. But on Twitter, it is, I mean, I'm very glad that I got rid of my own Twitter. In the band Twitter, I just dive in, post something, get out. Because if I even submerge my head for longer than two or three minutes, it's the, it will poke me with something that will enrage me. Anyway, I tried to keep it sort of light there with a off-the-cuff humorous story. That Probably I would have told under the influence as well many times. Um, and maybe I did or didn't do it justice. I'm not sure. But it felt like maybe I needed to pull out a kind of a silly story um, to, how can we say, poke or uh, burst the bubble of relentless seriousness that I felt we all must be living under right now. Now, whether I succeeded or not, yeah, well, we shall see. But we also have to acknowledge that we are being played to a degree. And if we do spend all our hours in front of the screen, 
well, then this is a view of the world that we're going to get. And so unplugging and trying to cut down the hours is maybe the only thing we can do. But a lot of people have been asking me um, about mental health, about purpose, about agency in the world. I often use the word agency. And that is to say that agency, on at least the terms that I understand it, is that as a musician, when you say for me, when you travel to a gig, the things, it's like dropping the stone in the pool, the ripples that move out. And those ripples are the what you've created and therefore what moves out from it. So when you have a gig, you have people paying to get into that, to be moved by what you've created. Um, everything from the front of house people to the lighting people to the crew to the caterers to the bouncers to the security to everybody who's traveling to people staying in hotels at venues around or you know or at, at hotels around the venue to everything from the people buying drinks this is the agency you create in the world this is the ripple effect that your creativity makes and when you have none of that it is a very difficult thing to um, deal with and I think that people who said to me oh it's just you know you and the lads going away for the weekend and on, on the piss and drinking and whatever and it's it's not that it's something much more innate and also existential at the same time it's about human purpose and at the moment it, with this whole pandemic situation the lockdown situation the uncertainty about employment the uncertainty about the nature of creativity in the future um, your agency and your purpose have gone. And that is a very difficult thing to deal with. Now, finding that, is it possible after, is it possible after playing a weekend of festival shows to 10 or 20,000 people and all of the agency that you can imagine goes around that, is it possible to just find simple joy in walking in the park? Is it, is it, possible that you've just become a victim of the own of the high bar that you've set for your own adrenaline and that's what you're addicted to but at the same time if that is your agency and purpose and identity and all these other things and sense of achievement wrapped up in that there are many different angles from which to look at it and having none of those things regardless of whether you think it's just a weekend uh, piss up with the lads or you think that it's some deep artistic statement of merit that people are sharing in an emotional transaction, either one of those things can both be true at the same time. But the fact is that neither is happening. And this is the same for the arts, uh, the world over right now. How do artists recalibrate for this strange new future that might um, unravel? I mean, I have said it... Um, in, you know, maybe melodramatic or no uncertain terms, but personally, without traveling, without playing gigs, without touring or festivals, I don't really see any reason to make heavy metal anymore. Um, I mean, that's not stand me to that. Um, and maybe the scene just goes into deep freeze and something emerges in 2022 or 2023 that we can live with. Um, and who knows, maybe you end up playing in a warehouse in Ukraine one weekend, in a warehouse in Poland one other weekend, and maybe touring just isn't something that happens anymore, and most venues disappear. I mean, a very famous venue in Dublin, Whelan's, which is not really where metal bands played, but we played there with Paradise Lost before years ago, um, once or twice, and they now have to have people seated, 
Um, there's also worry about people singing because it's spraying more droplets further, this kind of stuff. So they, I'm sure they think they have to sing behind a screen. Um, and of course, there's no economy in that to provide for most of the crew and workers and bar staff. And there also is no economy in that to bring musicians over to play to a 20% capacity, which is 80 people. So it will mainly just be local or Irish people playing acoustic guitar, which if anybody who's visited Dublin in the last couple of years knows that's a staple of every Irish pub anyway. Some cunt in the corner playing a trad song, then a fucking Ed Sheeran song directly after. Um, that's If that becomes the business model and it doesn't change back to what we knew, then places will just adapt to a new normal. And this is how counterculture dies. This is how alternative culture dies because it has nowhere left to breathe. Now, people say to me, oh, somebody will come up and take that place in two or three years. Now, maybe it's because I'm feeling so pessimistic towards the situation that I can't really see that quite happening. Of course, it's not going to completely disappear. But at the same time, if the new normal is, hey, you got to sit and eat Vegas style, um, spend 25 quid on, you know, whatever you're going to eat and pay 125 euro for a ticket, then that venues might go, well, yay, you know, that's not such a bad economic deal for us. We don't need bouncers, the hassle of people jumping around. We don't need this, that and the other. And I know, for example, I know our government here in Ireland will say, hey, look, that's your live music. What do you want? Um, you can get up there and play acoustically or sure, haven't you got an audience online that you can play to? And I think our government would quite happily let rock and roll die. They they would have no care about that. I don't think Ireland really would in a way. I I would like to be think I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I think as long as Irish people can go out in the piss and get fucked up, um, they don't really give a fuck. I mean, most people who go to most festivals now these days know that mostly people sit and just get pissed and ignore the bands anyway. Our hope is that basically Germans and Northern Europeans decide not to have it because, of course, if you can't have festivals like bang your head or Wacken, then you certainly can't have Oktoberfest. You certainly can't have each German small town having its own summer festival where they have, you know, everybody comes out into the streets. Germans really like coming out onto the streets to have this sort of communal drinking, um, musical kind of thing. And if there's no festivals for any kind of bands to play, um, then those things are also cancelled. And I think as exemplified by, for example... Exemplified for for example, well, Germans' resistance to the smoking ban. I I'm not sure they'll stand for it. Um, i.e., this new normal of socially distant, adapted gigs. But if we have a second surge, then yeah, I think, in reality, we might also have next year off as well when it comes to playing live and socially distanced gigs. I keep people keep asking me about it, um, and unfortunately, I don't really have anything optimistic to tell them. Um, our the rest of our gigs for this year, I don't think Primordial is playing, obviously. But next year, realistically, observing the way the stages of emergence from lockdown have been handled, as in once we get to the last month or so in a confusing um and dis and in a confusing manner, full of disinformation. Um, because I get the impression that the bodies of the state and institutions of governance don't really know what to do yet. Um, and with no vaccine, um, I, I, I would say that the the future for what we perceive as live music and counterculture and alternative culture, whatever you want to call it, is under some serious pressure.
Um, and I would just hope that my, as I said, my pessimism about the future is amplified by the, the frustration at the situation. Anyway, what am I talking about? Yeah. What am I talking about? A rambling podcast after the last few that were full of hours and hours of research. Um, I decided to just speak off the cuff. Um, and here we are. So that is the end of episode 16 of Agitators Anonymous. Like I said, the best place to follow my inanities is uh, Instagram, Nantiang underscore primordial. And if you want some extra bits and pieces, there is a few up on Patreon. Also, Primordial has a YouTube channel, of course. We're late to the party, like Irish people always are. Dinner's over. Everyone else is settled into their couple of drinks, thinking about how to get home. And we've just arrived with a bag of cans going, all right, lads, what's a story? Yeah, right, get a session going. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. But here we are. So it would be great for people to go over and subscribe to it um, so that YouTube doesn't... Um, disappear us anyway until the next time metal never bends take it easy out there hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.